section two of curiosities of literature volume three this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. curiosities of literature volume three by isaac disraeli masks it sometimes happens in the history of national amusements that a name survives while the thing itself is forgotten this has been remarkably the case with our court masks respecting which our most eminent writers long ventured on so many false opinions with a perfect ignorance of the nature of these compositions which combined all that was exquisite in the imitative arts of poetry painting music song dancing and machinery at a period when our public theatre was in its rude infancy convinced of the miserable state of our represented drama and not then possessing that more curious knowledge of their domestic history which we delight to explore they were led into erroneous notions of one of the most gorgeous the most fascinating and the most poetical of dramatic amusements our present theatrical exhibitions are indeed on a scale to which the twopenny audiences of the barn playhouses of shakespeare could never have strained their sight and our picturesque and learned costume with the brilliant changes of our scenery would have maddened the property men and the tire-women of the globe or the red bull Footnote sir philip sidney in his defence of poesy fifteen ninety five alludes to the custom of writing the supposed locality of each scene over the stage and asks what child is there that coming to a play and seeing thebes written in great letters on an old door doth believe that it is thebes as late as the production of davenant's siege of rhodes circa sixteen fifty six this custom was continued and is thus described in the printed edition of the play in the middle of the frieze was a compartment wherein was written roads in many instances the spectator was left to infer the locality of the scene from the dialogue now says sidney you shall have three ladies walk to gather flowers and then we must believe the stage to be a garden by and by we hear news of shipwreck in the same place then we are to blame if we accept it not for a rock in middleton's chaste maid sixteen thirty when the scene changes to a bedroom a bed is thrust out upon the stage all wit's wife in it which simple process was effected by pushing it through the curtains that hung across the entrance to the stage which at that time projected into the pit End of footnote shakespeare himself never beheld the true magical illusions of his own dramas with enter the red coat and exit hat and cloak helped out with painted cloths or as a bard of charles the second's time chance look back and see the strange vicissitudes of poetry your aged fathers came to plays for wit and sat knee-deep in nutshells in the pit but while the public theatre continued long in this contracted state without scenes without dresses without an orchestra the court displayed scenical and dramatic exhibitions with such costly magnificence such inventive fancy and such miraculous art that we may doubt if the combined genius of ben jonson indigo jones and laws or Ferrobosco at an era most favourable to the arts of imagination has been equalled by the modern spectacle of the opera but this circumstance had entirely escaped the knowledge of our critics 
the critic of a mask must not only have read it but he must also have heard and have viewed it the only witnesses in this case are those letter-writers of the day who were then accustomed to communicate such domestic intelligence to their absent friends from such ample correspondence i have often drawn some curious and sometimes important information it is amusing to notice the opinions of some great critics how from an original misstatement they have drawn an illegitimate opinion and how one inherits from the other the error which he propagates warburton said on masks that shakespeare was an enemy to these fooleries as appears by his writing none this opinion was among the many which that singular critic threw out as they arose at the moment for warburton forgot that shakespeare characteristically introduces one in the tempest's most fanciful scene footnote the play of pyramus and thisbe performed by the clowns in shakespeare's midsummer night's dream is certainly constructed in burlesque of characters in court masks which sometimes were as difficult to be made comprehensible to an audience as the clowns of athens found wall and moonshine to be End of footnote granger who had not much time to study the manners of the age whose personages he was so well acquainted with in a note on milton's mask said that these compositions were trifling and perplexed allegories the persons of which are fantastical to the last degree ben jonson in his mask of christmas has introduced minced pie and baby cake who act their parts in the drama footnote it is due to a great poet like ben jonson that without troubling the reader to turn to his works we should give his own description of these characters to show that they were not the perplexed allegories they are asserted to be by granger nor inappropriate to the mask of christmas for which they were designed minced pie was habited like a fine cook's wife dressed neat her man carrying a pie dish and spoon baby cake was dressed like a boy in a fine long coat biggin bib muckander or handkerchief and a little dagger his usher bearing a great cake with a bean and a peas the latter being indicative of those generally inserted in a christmas cake which when cut into slices and distributed indicated by the presence of the bean the person who should be king the slice with the pea doing the same for the queen neither of these characters speak but make part of the show to be described by father christmas johnson's inventive talent was never more conspicuous than in the concoction of court masks End of footnote but the most wretched performances of this kind could please by the help of music machinery and dancing granger blunders describing by two farcical characters a species of composition of which farce was not the characteristic such personages as he notices would enter into the anti-mask which was a humorous parody of the more solemn mask and sometimes relieved it malone whose fancy was not vivid condemns masks and the age of masks in which he says echoing granger's epithet the wretched taste of the times found amusement and lastly comes mr todd whom the splendid fragment of the arcades and the entire mask which we have by heart could not warm while his neutralizing criticism fixes him at the freezing point of the thermometer 
this dramatic entertainment performed not without prodigious expense in machinery and decoration to which humour we certainly owe the entertainment of arcades and the inimitable mask of comus comus however is only a fine dramatic poem retaining scarcely any features of the mask the only modern critic who had written with some research on this departed elegance of the english drama was wharton whose fancy responded to the fascination of the fairy-like magnificence and lyrical spirit of the mask wharton had the taste to give a specimen from the inner temple mask by william brown the pastoral poet whose address to sleep he observed reminds us of some favourite touches in milton's comus to which it perhaps gave birth yet even wharton was deficient in that sort of research which only can discover the true nature of these singular dramas such was the state in which some years ago i found all our knowledge of this once favourite amusement of our court our nobility and our learned bodies of the four inns of court some extensive researches pursued among contemporary manuscripts cast a new light over this obscure child of fancy and magnificence i could not think lightly of what ben jonson has called the eloquence of masks entertainments on which from three to five thousand pounds were expended and on more public occasions ten and twenty thousand to the aid of the poetry composed by the finest poets came the most skilful musicians and the most elaborate machinists ben jonson and inigo jones footnote the first employment of these two great men was upon the mask of blackness performed at whitehall on twelfth night sixteen o three and which cost nearly ten thousand pounds of our present money End of footnote and laws blended into one piece their respective genius and lord bacon and whitelock and selden who sat in committees for the last grand mask presented to charles i invented the devices composed the procession of the maskers and the anti-maskers while one took the care of the dancing or the brawlers and whitelock the music the sage whitelock who has chronicled his self-complacency on this occasion by claiming the invention of a coranto which for thirty years afterwards was the delight of the nation and was blessed by the name of whitelock's coranto and which was always called for two or three times over whenever that great statesman came to see a play Footnote the music of whitelock's coranto is preserved in hawkins history of music might it be restored for the ladies as a waltz End of footnote. so much personal honour was considered to be involved in the conduct of a mask that even this committee of illustrious men was on the point of being broken up by too serious a discussion concerning precedence and the mask had nearly not taken place till they hit on the expedient of throwing dice to decide on their rank in the procession on this jealousy of honour in the composition of a mask i discovered what hitherto had escaped the knowledge although not the curiosity of literary inquirers the occasion of the memorable enmity between ben jonson and inigo jones who had hitherto acted together with brotherly affection a circumstance says gifford to whom i communicated it not a little important in the history of our calumniated poet 
the trivial cause but not so in its consequences was the poet prefixing his own name before that of the architect on the title-page of a mask which hitherto had only been annexed Footnote. this was claridia a mask performed by the queen and her ladies at court on shrovetide sixteen thirty upon the title-page of which is printed the inventors ben jonson inigo jones jonson was by reason of the influence of inigo deprived of employ at court ever after supplanted by other poets named by the architect and among them haywood shirley and devenant so jealous was the great architect of his part of the mask and so predominant his power and name at court that he considered his rights invaded by the inferior claims of the poet johnson has poured out the whole bitterness of his soul in two short satires still more unfortunately for the subject of these satires they provoked inigo to sharpen his pen on rhyme but it is edgeless and the blunt composition still lies in its manuscript state while these researches had engaged my attention appeared gifford's memoirs of ben jonson the characteristics of masks are there for the first time elaborately opened with the clear and penetrating spirit of that ablest of our dramatic critics i feel it like presumption to add to what has received the finishing hand of a master but his jewel is locked up in a chest which i fear is too rarely opened and he will allow me to borrow something from its splendour the mask as it attained its highest degree of excellence admitted of dialogue singing and dancing these were not independent of one another but combined by the introduction of some ingenious fable into an harmonious whole when the plan was formed the aid of the sister arts was called in for the essence of the mask was pomp and glory movable scenery of the most costly and splendid kind was lavished on the mask the most celebrated masters were employed on the songs and dances and all that the kingdom afforded of vocal and instrumental excellence was employed to embellish the exhibition Footnote. george chapman's memorable mask performed at whitehall sixteen thirty by the gentlemen of the middle temple in lincoln's inn cost the latter society nearly two thousand pounds for their share of the expenses End of footnote thus magnificently constructed the mask was not committed to ordinary performers it was composed as lord bacon says for princes and by princes it was played footnote ben jonson records the names of the noble ladies and gentlemen who enacted his inventions at court End of footnote of these masks the skill with which their ornaments were designed and the inexpressible grace with which they were executed appear to have left a vivid impression on the mind of johnson his genius awakes at once and all his faculties attuned to sprightliness and pleasure he makes his appearance like his own delight accompanied with grace love harmony revel sport and laughter in curious knot and mazes so the spring at first was taught to go and zephyr when he came to woo his flora had his motions too footnote. the figures and actions of dancers and masks were called motions into footnote as thus did venus learn to lead the idalian brawls and so to tread as if the wind not she did walk nor pressed a flower nor bowed a stalk but in what says gifford was the taste of the times wretched 
in poetry painting architecture they have not since been equalled and it ill becomes us to arraign the taste of a period which possessed a cluster of writers of whom the meanest would now be esteemed a prodigy malone did not live to read this denouncement of his objection to these masks as bungling shows and which warburton treats as fooleries granger as wretched performances while mr todd regards them merely as the humour of the times masks were often the private theatricals of the families of our nobility performed by the ladies and gentlemen at their seats and were splendidly got up on certain occasions such as the celebration of a nuptial or in compliment to some great visitor the mask of comus was composed by milton to celebrate the creation of charles i as prince of wales a scene in this mask presented both the castle and the town of ludlow which proves that although our small public theatres had not yet displayed any of the cynical illusions which long afterwards davenant introduced these cynical effects existed in great perfection in the masks the minute descriptions introduced by thomas campion in his memorable mask as it is called will convince us that the scenery must have been exquisite and fanciful and that the poet was always a watchful and anxious partner with the machinist with whom sometimes however he had a quarrel the subject of this very rare mask was the night and the hours it would be tedious to describe the first scene with the fondness with which the poet has dwelt on it it was a double valley one side with dark clouds hanging before it on the other a green vale with trees and nine golden ones of fifteen feet high from which grove towards the state or the seat of the king was a broad descent to the dancing-place the bower of flora was on the right the house of night on the left between them a hill hanging like a cliff over the grove the bower of flora was spacious garnished with flowers and flowery branches with lights among them the house of night ample and stately with black columns studded with golden stars within nothing but clouds and twinkling stars while about it were placed on wire artificial bats and owls continually moving as soon as the king entered the great hall the hote boys out of the wood on the top of the hill entertained the time till flora and zephyr were seen busily gathering flowers from the bower throwing them into baskets which two sylvans held attired in changeable taffeta the song is light as their fingers but the burden is charming now hath flora robbed her bowers to befriend this place with flowers strow about strow about divers divers flowers affect for some private dear respect strow about strow about but he's none of flora's friend that will not the rose commend strow about strow about i cannot quit this mask of which collectors know the rarity without preserving one of those doric delicacies of which perhaps we have outlived the taste it is a playful dialogue between a sylvan and an hour while night appears in her house with her long black hair spangled with gold amidst her hours their faces black and each bearing a lighted black torch sylvan tell me gentle hour of night wherein dost thou most delight hour not in sleep sylvan wherein then hour in the frolic view of men sylvan lov'st thou music hour oh tis sweet sylvan 
what's dancing our e'en the mirth of feet silver joy you in fairies and in elves our we are of that sort ourselves but sylvan say why do you love only to frequent the grove sylvan life is fullest of content when delight is innocent our pleasure must vary not be long come then let's close and end the song that the movable scenery of these masks formed as perfect a cynical illusion as any that our own age with all its perfection of decoration has attained to will not be denied by those who have read the few masks which have been printed they usually contrived a double division of the scene one part was for some time concealed from the spectator which produced surprise and variety thus in the lord's mask at the marriage of the palatine the scene was divided into two parts from the roof to the floor the lower part being first discovered there appeared a wood in perspective the innermost part being of relieve or whole round the rest painted on the left a cave and on the right a thicket from which issued orpheus at the back part of the scene at the sudden fall of a curtain the upper part broke on the spectators a heaven of clouds of all hues the stars suddenly vanished the clouds dispersed an element of artificial fire played about the house of prometheus a bright and transparent cloud reaching from the heavens to the earth whence the eight maskers descending with the music of a full song and at the end of their descent the cloud broke in twain and one part of it as with a wind was blown athwart the scene while this cloud was vanishing the wood being the under part of the scene was insensibly changing a perspective view opened with porticos on each side and female statues of silver accompanied with ornaments of architecture filling the end of the house of prometheus and seemed all of goldsmith's work the women of prometheus descended from their niches till the anger of jupiter turned them again into statues it is evident too that the size of the proscenium or stage accorded with the magnificence of the scene for i find choruses described and changeable conveyances of the song in manner of an echo performed by more than forty different voices and instruments in various parts of the scene the architectural decorations were the pride of inigo jones such could not be trivial i suppose says the writer of this mask few have ever seen more neat artifice than master inigo jones showed in contriving their motion who as all the rest of the workmanship which belonged to the whole invention showed extraordinary industry and skill which if it be not as lively expressed in writing as it appeared in view robbed not him of his due but lay the blame on my want of right apprehending his instruction for the adoring of his art whether this strong expression should be only adorning does not appear in any errata but the feeling of admiration was fervent among the spectators of that day who were at least as much astonished as they were delighted ben jonson's prose descriptions of scenes in his own exquisite masks as gifford observes are singularly bold and beautiful 
in a letter which i discovered the writer of which had been present at one of these masks and which gifford has preserved the reader may see the great poet anxiously united with inigo jones in working the machinery johnson before a sacrifice could be performed turned the globe of the earth standing behind the altar in this globe the sea was expressed heightened with silver waves which stood or rather hung for no axle was seen to support it and turning softly discovered the first mask footnote see gifford's johnson volume seven page seventy eight this performance was in the mask of hymen enacted at court in sixteen o five on the occasion of the marriage of the earl of essex to the daughter of the earl of suffolk End of footnote. Etc. this turning softly producing a very magical effect the great poet would trust to no other hand but his own it seems however that as no mask writer equalled johnson so no machinist rivalled inigo jones i have sometimes caught a groan from some unfortunate poet whose beautiful fancies were spoilt by the bungling machinist one says the order of this scene was carefully and ingeniously disposed and as happily put in act for the motions by the king's master carpenter but he adds the painters i must needs say not to belie them lent small colour to any to attribute much of the spirit of these things to their pencil campion in one of his masks describing where the trees were gently to sink etc by an engine placed under the stage and in sinking were to open and the maskers appear out uh, at their tops etc adds this vindictive marginal note either by the simplicity negligence or conspiracy of the painter the passing away of the trees was somewhat hazarded though the same day they had been shown with much admiration and were left together to the same night that is they were worked right at the rehearsal and failed in the representation which must have perplexed the nine maskers on the tops of these nine trees but such accidents were only vexations crossing the fancies of the poet they did not essentially injure the magnificence the pomp and the fairy world opened to the spectators so little was the character of these masks known that all our critics seemed to have fallen into repeated blunders and used the masks as campion suspected his painters to have done either by simplicity negligence or conspiracy heard a cold systematic critic thought he might safely prefer the mask in the tempest as putting to shame all the masks of johnson not only in its construction but in the splendour of its show which adds gifford was danced and sung by the ordinary performers to a couple of fiddles perhaps in the balcony of the stage such is the fate of criticism without knowledge and now to close our masks let me apply the forcible style of ben jonson himself the glory of all these solemnities had perished like a blaze and gone out in the beholder's eyes so short-lived are the bodies of all things in comparison of their souls Footnote. splendour ultimately ruined these works they ended in gaudy dresses and expensive machinery but poetry was not associated with them the youthful days of louis fourteen raised them to a height of costly luxuriance to sink them ever after in oblivion End of footnote. End of section two.